Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Electric Cities Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson. Today we're going to talk about Toronto's office market and its surge of new development activity, particularly in the downtown core. From soaring office towers to smaller scale buildings and mixed-use projects, new developments are springing up in various forms in response to Toronto's growing need for more office space. To find out what's driving this demand and the latest trends in office developments, I'm joined by Werner Dietl. Executive Vice President of CBRE's Toronto Downtown Office and the Regional Managing Director of CBRE's Greater Toronto Area Businesses. Werner, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Great to be here, Jeremy. Great. So I mentioned the Toronto office market and it's thriving right now, but it certainly wasn't always like this. I remember a time during the recessionary years of the 1990s where nothing was being built. And for those projects that did try to get off the ground, uh, they failed. And one of them, the Bay Adelaide Center, uh, turned into a six-story concrete stump. Thankfully, times have changed. That center is now a multi-tower complex uh, with, I think, a third tower on the way. And in fact, you know, I was looking at the uh, Toronto bid for the Amazon second headquarters, and there's a terrific two-page illustration that shows an amazing number of potential office projects for the city's downtown, totaling something like 37 million square feet, which is really quite amazing. So I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on what's happening in the office market today and where you think it's headed. Let's, well, we got a lot of ground to cover. So um, let, let's start by let's let's talk about the business climate because i think that's that's really where where things start from my perspective and and without a healthy business climate uh, there's there's limited demand on on the office side of things so you know our business climate right now in canada but specifically in toronto uh, is strong uh, there is a definite vibrance and energy in the city of toronto that if you compare it you know even to to 5 years ago uh, it is different, and so the core has shifted uh, projects downtown uh, with the number of condos that have come on stream, and and the shift towards a more of a mixed-use development style is pushing people, young people in particular, down into the core, and so this is creating a very interesting dynamic for employers because there is a war on talent. And, and certainly, uh, if you think of the growth industries that, that exist right now in the city of Toronto, uh, technology is one of them, uh, you know, still our, our traditional fire sectors. So that's, you know, finance, insurance and real estate are all growing. And, and every one of these employers is looking for, you know, for strong talent, smart young people that have the energy to, to move into it. So I think we have a really interesting business climate right now. And, and with what's generally happening in the city uh, when, when you have a strong business climate and the economy is good client or our clients in this case because we're a commercial real estate brokerage the tenants and the companies that are out there uh, start to grow and so what, what this is doing is it's spurring new 
dynamics and, and development ideas out into some areas that we haven't seen before. So for me, it starts with the business climate, and it's it's about you know a war on talent. And I think we're you know where the the people want to live, the young folks that are that are entering the workforce, they want to live downtown for the most part. And so you know to me, there's a very interesting dynamic all around that. Uh, secondly, I think our, our government, both from a, from a municipal and from a provincial and from, you know, and then thirdly from a federal, has been very supportive of, of new startups, uh, of technology, and in growing that, that really that knowledge-based economy. And a lot of that, if you look around at, uh, at the Vector Institute, you know, the AI Institute uh, that, that has been created through uh, the affiliation with the University of Toronto, uh, with Mars that we know about. And now that it's full, it's, uh, it's spurring other incubators to, to start popping up uh, across, across the city. But tech's just one piece of it. Because if you look at actually who's driving activity right now, uh, it, it's almost every sector of the office economy that, that is active. And, and you've heard of some of the most recent announcements, you know, with CIBC taking down a new headquarters, uh, which is going to be down by the Air Canada Centre, now, you know, the Scotiabank uh, arena. It's, you know, f- you know, for us, we see every sector active, and, and that, that cr- that's really being driven by, by a healthy business climate. So you were mentioning earlier just about this, the... the the demand, the war on talent. I haven't actually heard that expression. I like that. Um, but I remember years ago, I think it was Menkes who um, built the TELUS Tower next to the Air Canada Centre. And I think they started to recognize that they needed to be where the talent is located. So I'm wondering, is it, like, what came first? Is it the is it the the, the condos that came first and then the office followed? Or or was it a reverse or is it sort of a kind of a symbiotic relationship I, I think it's symbiotic and and I think that uh, the you know really the the shift for me is is just about uh, about what's happened it's just energy and the vibrance that exists in the core now that didn't exist here uh, before as I mentioned before and so when I think of the south core in particular uh, Menkes was a pioneer I mean when you think of what was down in that area 10 years ago, there wasn't very much. And, and so as, as TELUS, you know, came up at, uh, at 25 York and, and that development, you know, materialized, it started to show a number of, of traditional, what I would call financial core tenants, that there is uh, a life outside of, you know, Bay and King and, and other areas like that. And there, there is, there is some possibility to, to attract your, your labor and back to the talent right. you know, point. So, so why the South core? First of all, where, so the South core is an area that's South of the, of Union Station, the railway tracks next correct, to the Air Canada yes. Center, uh, kind of sandwiched between the railway tracks and, uh, Queens Key, I guess. Um, uh, so what 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 is the draw of the South Core as opposed to well, King and Bay? I, I think the the initial draw was there there was land there okay. was land available and and it was zoned for employment uh, and mixed use and res. So you had you had the ability to actually do a mini plan of uh, of of a micro area of the city that could have all attributes available to it, and then you had 
you know, the, the sports stadiums that basically are the bookends on both sides. And so you had a very interesting dynamic that could appeal to, to, to a cross-section of, of people that, that were looking to, to potentially live downtown. So, but it really started with the land. There was available land there, and there was no available land or limited available land, I would say, sort of in the traditional areas. And, and so what that spurred, and I, you talked about it in, in, your, in your introduction, what that started to spur then is other mid-rise opportunities in other areas of the city from an office perspective. So then you start to see office starting to be constructed, you know, further west out in Liberty Village. You started to see infill pieces uh, like the, the spec building that's been announced at uh, Young and King at 65 King East. You start to see these, you know, I would say smaller buildings. They're 400 to 500,000 square feet. That might not seem small to, you know, to many of your listeners, but that's a relatively small what I would call boutique office building versus some of the million to two million square foot towers, you know, that, that you would see in the traditional financial core. But, and then, then if you start to look, you know, east and west of, of what was our traditional core at, at King and Bay, you start to now see all these other opportunities that might be 10, 12 stories that exist in smaller pockets and more of a neighborhood. The same way residential is built, you're starting to see office now fitting into more of a neighborhood that uh, that wasn't necessarily a traditional office market in the past. And who are those office tenants in these smaller buildings? Is it is it the tech industry or um, other industries that have typically been in the downtown core? Are we seeing an emergence of, of new industries that want to occupy smaller office buildings, um, not necessarily in the downtown core? Well, I'd say it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's difficult to generalize, but I would say that, that it's, uh, it's creative type uh, industries. So that might be uh, advertising, um, technology, media, and, and you know, from, from our perspective, that doesn't mean that, that uh, private equity and, and smaller, you know, financial services firms may not locate out, out on into some of these smaller developments because they offer something different. And, and I think that, you know, the banks have always dominated the downtown landscape and they will continue for now to dominate that landscape, even though we are seeing traditional technology companies coming into the core. Uh, Amazon taking, you know, a large chunk of space at, uh, at Scotia Plaza, as an example, uh, about mid, you know, mid last year. It's, you, you start to look at those slight shifts in, in the tenant composition and, and it tells a story. And, and I think that's what's really exciting about it is that, you know, the, the office market, you know, which was, you know, in the past, you know, limited to, you know, a, a relatively small area is now, is now is expanding and is spreading out, but also the tenant composition and the mix of tenants in some of these towers is changing. And what that does is it just spurs a different dynamic and energy in each one of these buildings. I see. So that so there are tech companies that are starting to muscle their way into the the, 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 the skyscrapers downtown, yes. um, right at King and Bay or South Core. Well, I I would say both, mm-hmm. and and I think you know part of that was that they're at, at a certain critical mass. So at a certain size, you become. Uh, difficult to to fit into some of the traditional tech nodes and and a lot of the developers on King West um, you know I would say allied in particular 
have addressed that by by looking to build new product in their areas, but but they're they're running very low vacancy. So as is the majority of the downtown core, we hit an all-time low at the end of Q4 2017 for vacancy in downtown Toronto, and it's running now at, at 3.7%. That's almost unheard of. Okay. In most major U.S. cities, if you're running at 10% vacancy, they're putting towers up left, right, and center. And so that's the, what we're seeing here as a result. It is, but it's lagged. It's lagged because we're more conservative, and that's mm-hmm. that's what's helped our economy, you know, get to where it is today. Is that as Canadians we tend to be slightly more conservative, mm-hmm. and so we're we're not, I would say, developing as many towers as as we as you would in, in a similar size U.S. city. But we are addressing the supply issue. But the challenge is, is it takes. 36 to you know 42 months to put up an office tower so if you react today you're not putting that that on stream you know think about that right till till 2021 2022 you know at the earliest you know the middle of of that year so it's it becomes a uh, a little bit of a of a race and a little bit of a bet on on what's going to happen you know three years out so are we now in the crux of all the development proposals? Is that the height of that, that cycle? Or do you think that there's still room for more aggressive uh, development proposals to come? Well, I mean, if you look at what's what's on stream right now, so you have uh, Ivanhoe, Cambridge, that's constructing, uh, you know, the Bay Park Center, which is where CIBC is going to go. And CIBC how, that's Square. That's what about a million square feet, or it's uh, each tower is is over a million square okay. feet. So I believe the the total development, and we'll we can fact check this, but I think the total development is about two and a half million square feet. Okay. So it's 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 a sizable transaction. Uh, then you have um, uh, Cadillac Fairview that that's building or has broken ground at 16 York, and and that will be a tower. You have Oxford that has a site that is looking for a lead tenant. They they haven't committed to spec, but they're talking about very favorably about what you know where they see the market going. Um, and then you have back to the the, the smaller uh, developments, infill developments, I would call them. Uh, that Cartera, as an example, is building at 65 King East, which will be about 460,000 square feet. That's you know that will break ground uh, by the summer, but they're they're actively moving ahead to to construct it. So we're at I would say the beginning of the development cycle, and and I see potentially more more forthcoming. It's just a matter of when does it come on stream, and and if you just think of that lag period, the construction period that you need to, to move it forward, that's what the developers are really looking at. Is, you know, if if I don't put something on stream until early 2019, is the market still going to be there, three and a half years out? Well, that's my and my follow up question. The market you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. Are developers keeping a close eye on how the tech industry is doing, or are they keeping a close eye on just about all the the big industries that that help to fuel the demand for office product? I would say they they look at they look at the whole spectrum because perspective is you know is is really what you need when you're making you know a, this type of, of financial dis, you know uh, decision. Uh, I think tech is a very interesting dynamic because in the city of Toronto right now it represents downtown only about call it four to five percent of our existing tenant composition. 
Okay, so think about that for a second. So let's call it 5% of our, of our existing tenants are in tech of the total downtown inventory. Yet when, you know, the beauty of being in a brokerage is I see both the supply and the demand sides. And so on the demand side, it's about 30 to 35% of our demand currently. So we have way more tech tenants looking than we have actually placed in, in, you know, in our inventory today. And so that's only going to grow. So that's a check mark from a developer's perspective. That, that, bit, that industry is going to grow and some of the big ones are going to grow. I mean, the, the Amazons, the Googles, the, you know, the, the Facebooks, if you think of all that's out there, um, it's, it becomes a very interesting discussion from a, from a developer's perspective because on the last development cycle, they weren't the groups that were leading it. They were at part all. of the equation. They were part of the equation, but they weren't, weren't leading it. So could potentially one of these uh, boutique or infill sites kick off with a, with a tech tenant? Absolutely. Shopify is a major tenant that uh, that's going to you know be kicking off one of Allied's projects uh, on King West, and so you know it's it's a very dynamic marketplace right now. And so, thinking about the tech industry and the and the kind of people that work there and the space requirements that they have, so tell me a little bit about what's happening inside the new buildings um, mm-hmm. in terms of layout. Um, demand by by tenants for their new space uh, and how that compares with the way it used to be done well I, I mean we we're in the workplace you know business I mean and we've we've rebranded our our offices uh, and and redesigned our offices across the country you know on you know on that basis because our employees were asking for something different. They wanted something that would give them a bit more energy and and a little bit more, I would say, flexibility when it comes to working. So if I want to pick up my laptop and, and go into a quiet area versus being in a traditional open concept, you know, uh, cubicle, I want to have that ability to, to, to move around. And so what's happening on the inside is, is a lot of open space planning, but it's uh, and and certainly some space reduction and and densifying of of you know how much space you might have as an individual worker, but you're giving back space you know to your to your employees through collaborative areas, uh, larger I would say uh, social areas like a cafe or a, or you know a lunchroom. Uh, you may have, uh, you might certainly have wellness rooms and and uh, and areas where you can do yoga and, and different things to address the, the the new needs of the workforce. And does that sort of format appeal to just about all types of users, from bankers, insurance companies, uh, law firms, as well as? Uh, in my mind, this this sort of uh, lines up more with tech firms, but it sounds like it's across the board. Well, I think if you if you look at almost every industry has has experimented with some form of workplace strategy, and they may not even know it that they that they've done it, but they've experimented with it. And so, I, I would say right now, certainly the banks and the insurers and and a lot of the large consultancies. Uh, are all doing it. They're all looking at ways to densify and and change their their space environment to to benefit their their people. And I think that's really what it comes down to is, you know, how can I how can I give back somewhat, you know, to my people and 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 allow them to flourish, you know, given the number of hours they're going to spend, you know, in the space. So, I think 
everyone that, that thinks of an open concept, you know, office thinks of tech automatically, but I would say it's, it's across all of the industries. The one thing I will say, though, is there's an absolute debate out there as to whether this is, you know, is this the way it's always going to be? Is this, you know, is everybody going to go to, you know, one desk for, you know, for three to five people and we're just going to share it and we're going to book in on a free address system? That doesn't work for everybody. And I think there's a major debate out on on whether or not that's uh, that is a universal fit for everyone. You know, for us, uh, being in a, in a sales environment, it absolutely can work. Uh, for others that are project-based, it absolutely can work. For others that are at their desks all the time and in the office, it, it, you have to find a fit. And so the beauty of workplace strategy is, is finding really the, the right chemistry and the, and the right composition as to how your space is going to work for your unique company, right? That's, so are you finding examples in the industry where um, the alteration to office space didn't exactly uh, turn out to be successful for certain tenants, or are they still... Well, not if they used our workplace strategy group, <laughs> but I, I would say if, if, you, if you went it alone without any input, either from a professional or from your people, and you didn't ask them what, what they were looking for, that's a recipe for failure because mm-hmm. really it, it's, it's somewhat as much as it's a top down decision, you know, from, for major, you know, C level or, mm-hmm. or even in smaller companies, just the, you know, the leaders of the company to make that call. It's a bottom up discussion because if you, if you can't design the space for the people that are in it, mm-hmm. the same way you would live, you know, in, in a condominium or a home or wherever it might be, you're going to design your space for yourself. So you have to have almost that bottom, that same bottom-up conversation in, in driving what the solution is. I just I want to move now to um, the suburban context. We're talking a lot. We're sitting here in a downtown office, and we're thinking a lot about downtown core. But I wonder whether any of this, um, uh, the, the, the tremendous upside, what we're experiencing now in the office market is is making its way to the suburbs. Um, and now I'm thinking Mississauga and Vaughan, Markham, mm-hmm. maybe North Toronto and, and probably others. What are, what are your, um, what are you seeing in, in those markets? So, I mean, for, let, let's put this in context to begin with. So, you know, our, the, the urban and suburban markets uh, in Toronto are split about 50-50. There's about, let's call it 53% of our inventory is downtown, downtown and midtown. And the balance of that's suburban. So it's a huge market. It's And it absolutely requires, I'm glad you brought it up because it absolutely requires discussion. And so what we're seeing in the suburban markets uh, is, 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 a, is some areas doing really well and some areas doing poorly. And, and the areas that, that are, are lagging, I would say, are the areas that have seen a net export of talent into more urban environments or to environments that are closer to transit. Because it's, I don't know about you, but it's, it's difficult to get around the city. And, and so if you're not connected in some way to whether it be uh, a Viva system, you know, in, in York region or, or what they've built out in Mississauga, you know, to connect you into, into the city center in Mississauga, it's, it's, it becomes a difficult value proposition for, for many employers. That being said, the suburban markets are driven mostly by the cars. And no pun intended, but it's <laughs> like our, the, most people are, are using cars to get to work. And that 
that phenomenon has not changed. Mm -hmm. And so until that shift has occurred, you know, that reliance on transit won't be there, but employers are really, they're trying to think about the future. So, you know, KPMG has opened a large office at the end of the Vaughan subway line. And, and the subway took some time to, you know, there was, it was delayed, it's open now, and usership or ridership is, is increasing. And that, we expect that node to, to really to grow uh, over time. And, and what's nice about that area is, is you can connect straight downtown. It's a straight, you know, southbound shot. Uh, but also when, when you're back at the office, you know, in Vaughan, there's amenities. There's, uh, there's places to go. There's gyms. There's, you know, you, it's, it's, you're, you're creating the needs of the, of the people and, and your talent, uh, but just in a different marketplace. So the areas that have been lagging, you know, have been some of the best, best development markets uh, over many years. Uh, Mississauga has been lagging somewhat and has, has lost some tenants. Um, but it, even when I look at them that last six months, they've seen a tremendous amount of, of tour activity. They've, they're starting to see tenants re-envision and, and, and re-look at, at those and marketplaces. And why is that? Is that because of the new LRT that's <clears throat> proposed I, for I think Ontario? I think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a piece of that. I think it's a piece of, I think it just to, to a point, um, you know, office leasing goes in cycles. And, and if they had a number, if they had a, uh, a higher number of expiries over the last, you know, several years, and, and they didn't retain as many as they, they could have for, for a specific node, then, then in that three-year period, you may look like the net loser, but the reality is 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 that that expiry profile is is likely changing, and and tenants are are staying longer, you know, and and will so it won't be as as you know what I'm trying to say is there won't be as drastic a, a turnover every single year in those markets. I think they got they got stuck with some bad timing on that front, um, but they did lose some tenants to downtown, and so what's also driving it is pricing because pricing downtown is uh, is up. It's up probably ten percent. Uh, year over year and so what that starts to do is it starts to force the business leaders out there to look at all you know potentially other options uh, versus just saying no we have to be downtown so I think that there, there will be a rebalancing I still think the the urban uh, marketplace has a, a tremendous amount to offer and but I, I do I, I never have thought the suburbs are dead I think that it just they're they're in a bit of a of a time period they're in a little bit of a valley but they will resurface they will come out absolutely because a, a huge chunk of the population lives in the suburbs they're used to their cars absolutely. and if they are relatively close they probably prefer to work in the suburbs yes um, you mentioned the price just for our listeners uh, those who may not be as savvy as as, as those like you in the industry, what are some typical average rental rates um, downtown versus suburban? So, it, I mean, downtown you're you're going to average. Uh, well, it's hard to average, but you know, if you would think, uh, if you go out to King West, uh, Brick and Beam, you're you're fifty dollars all in uh, per square foot. Uh, if you're more in the financial core, that can be sixty to seventy dollars a square foot all in. It's just you know, uh, and in the suburban markets, it, you know, you you can get into space for thirty dollars a square foot. So it's you know when you when you start to balance, you know, pricing and and transportation and needs, 
it's uh, it's a very there's a very wide spectrum, but that pricing is a difficult one to answer because it really does come down to the node and the neighborhood that you're looking at, and and that's really what drives you know your amenities and your proximity to transit, and and the the age of the building and what what the building is offering you really dictates the price. So it's difficult to kind of give people mm-hmm. context on that. Front. I guess now more than ever, since congestion on on highways and arterial roads. Uh, is is almost at a at a uh, breaking point, um, so that probably plays more in a part. And you said the talent, the young people, they want to be downtown. So how do you mm-hmm. draw them to the suburbs? How do you have them remain in the suburbs? Yes. Um, I want to just talk a little bit about your. You know, right now this these are heady times for the office market. But what are you on the lookout for in terms of risks or concerns? Um, when do you start to worry? I mean, I, someone in in this industry always has to keep their eye on the mm-hmm. uh, on on the on the on the future and and to see where the concerns are. So, what what are the big concerns that the uh, the players are are looking at? Well, I mean, I, back to to what we started the uh, the program with. I mean, it comes down to the business climate, obviously. And so, right now, I would say uh, most major employers are are hiring. And, and are, are looking at ways to, to grow. Uh, obviously, the banks have, have done some laying off, and, and, but we haven't really felt the effect of that. So, you know, we, we would start to look at, at what are some of the macroeconomic, you know, challenges, you know, we, that we see forthcoming. Um, we are we're likely, from a, from a real estate cycle, we're probably into a doubleheader. I don't think anyone saw. What do you mean by a doubleheader? So what I'm going to say about that, and you know, it's 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 a little bit of inside jargon, but it's, you know, you might think of uh, of any business cycle as being, you know, one full baseball game, so nine innings, and and we feel that we're we've we've almost entered into uh, into a new game without without resting with yeah. without resting, yeah. and and so the doubleheader analogy is is that. Now we're into into another nine innings, and 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 potentially this, you know, this this phenomenon may continue. Um, so but, sorry, we're but, here. We are in the spring of 2018. Yes, and you think we're at the beginning of a doubleheader? Yeah, we're a, we're in the next of game. The second, we're the second we're at game. the beginning of the second game. That that's that's my yes. That's and where we're seeing things. How, so uh, that's just more. Uh, more excitement coming forward. Another another surge of of office, the similar that we've seen in the last two three years. Would you say? Well, let let's let's step back for a second. I think that it's it's you know we have to look at what's what potential. Let me. I'm going to go back to your first you know the initial question, which is what risks are we seeing? So obviously uh, the levers that affect businesses and their costs and everything like that. So, you know, labor costs, uh, borrowing costs, so interest rates going up, um, changes to immigration policies. Like, these are some of the, the, the larger pillars that we start to look at to say, okay, as a Canadian company, when am I going to stop investing in, in my growth and start to divest or lay off and reduce costs? And what what we see right now is an economy that that is uh, that is absolutely chugging along. There's there are obviously some larger global risks, you know, around our, our neighbors to the south, and and what's you know what's happening, you know, with some of our other trading partners. But that's where it starts. 
And so the surge of office can't really occur. You know, if everything stays static, we see office growing at, at a disproportionate rate than, than it would have, you know, in, in other times. Mm-hmm. Because we, we do have that momentum and, and, and energy in, in the city right now. Mm-hmm. But if something was to occur in, in the financial system or, uh, or with our trading relationships, you know, NAFTA in particular, uh, or, you know, with, with some, some form of other, you know, gray cloud that, that isn't on the horizon today that would materialize, that would affect it. And that would shutter some of the, the projects that, that are going. Um, I don't think, not the ones that are going, the ones that are planned. Right. The ones that are going are going. going to get leased, absolutely. Like, we already see, as I said, the demand side. And we know every project that's moving right now, uh, moving dirt, it, it's going to get leased uh, prior to commencement. That's that's our, or prior to commencement in, in our world is, you know, is when the building's ready for, for occupancy. So it's um, it, it's an interesting time. Sure, very it is exciting. Interesting very time. exciting. Yeah, I'm, exciting is probably the word that captures how you guys are seeing the market and how uh, I am seeing the market as a casual observer, just with all the project announcements. Again, getting back to this uh, Amazon um, uh, bid product and and. Uh, capturing all the different office developments that are either under construction or proposed, it's really quite remarkable. And, and you're, I think you're right. I, I don't think we've seen anything like this. Um, so this has been really informative. Thanks a lot for um, spending the time. You're welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for having me.